This episode of Intelligent Medicine is brought to you by Propax with NT Factor, a complete vitamin and mineral formula. NT Factor is the only nutritional formula clinically proven to reduce fatigue, whatever the cause, whether it be age, illness, or just being run down. NT Factor repairs damaged cells, restores healthy bacteria in your digestive tract. Clinical trials have shown NT Factor reduces fatigue by almost half, and it even reverses some symptoms of aging. I've been taking NT Factor for years, and now the 45-day money-back guarantee you have nothing to lose. To order, call 800-982-9158. That's 800-982-9158. Or go to ntfactor.com. That's ntfactor.com. Welcome back to today's Intelligent Medicine Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ronald Hoffman. Our guest, Dr. Andrew Budson. He's co-author with Maureen O'Connor of Six Steps to Managing Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia, A Guide for Families. Uh, if, you know, I got to say, this, this is one of the most stressful things imaginable. In fact, uh, I recall, uh, you know, when they uh, study stress, uh, they can stress experimental animals uh, by throwing them in a vat of ice water, by giving them electrical shocks, it's cruel. But yeah, they're experimental animals, and we need the we need the research. Animal rights advocates uh, are pretty unhappy about that. But when it comes to humans, you know, unless uh, it was during the Nazi era, you can't really uh, stress people. It's uh, it's it's unethical. You can't administer shocks. You can't uh, plunge them into ice water. Uh, so in order to discuss to uh, study stress. Uh, psychologists have come up with an interesting paradigm. Uh, they look at caregivers of Alzheimer's patients because they think that that may be uh, perhaps public speaking, that and public speaking, one of the most stressful things that people can undergo. So uh, clearly your book is filling a major gap and there's lots and lots of practical information about how uh, caregivers can be better caregivers. And also uh, it's important that they take care of number one, because caregiver burnout doesn't help anyone. It, absolutely. It, it's so true. And it's one of the reasons that uh, one of the six steps is to build your care team, which starts with you, which starts with caring uh, for yourself. And there have been so many studies that have really proven that as a caregiver, if you take the time to uh, take care of yourself, which means giving yourself time uh, to do something that you enjoy, making sure you get enough sleep, making sure you get regular exercise, making sure you go to your own doctor's appointments, take care of your own health, see your own friends, um, that you will be a better caregiver. So even if your only goal is to provide the best care to your loved one, you will do a better job if you take care of yourself. Indeed. And uh, so, you know, look out for number one and uh, keep something in reserve because otherwise uh, it's not going to be beneficial to you. It's not going to be beneficial to the person you're caring for. Um, so uh, let's talk a little bit about um, these other medications because, you know, you mentioned Adjuhelm. You're very involved with the approval process for Adjuhelm. And you're, you, like many uh, really top uh, neuroscientists, uh, are a little skeptical about whether it should be approved, yet there are other drugs uh, that are used for Alzheimer's disease. My experience is that yeah, they a little they're a little wishy-washy. They're so-so. 
Yeah. So it, it, I think that the other drugs that we have, uh, they work a little bit, uh, sort of like you said. And is it worth it? Uh, I would argue that it is. So what the evidence suggests is that uh, when a physician starts someone on one of the standard FDA-approved memory-enhancing medications, um, what we can do is to turn the clock back on their memory loss by approximately 6 to 12 months. So, for example, um, if we start someone on Dinepazil, whose brand name is Aricept, I can make their memory like it was six months ago or maybe even a year ago, and the earlier that they come to see me, the more brain cells are still living, and the more likely it is that I can turn that clock back by a full year. Now, the reason I think these drugs sort of have a bad rap is that the person still had memory loss a year ago, for one, and the other thing is I cannot stop the clock from ticking down and I can't even change the rate at which the clock is ticking down. But in general, people will always be better off on these medications than off of them. And then there's also galantamine. Yes. So galantamine, rivastigmine, uh, whose brand name is Exelon, these are other medications in the same class as denepazil and Aricept, and they work the same way. What are the side effects? Yeah, the main side effect are gastrointestinal. So some people have a little bit of nausea associated with these medicines. Uh, many people have uh, loose stools or frequent bowel movements. But in my experience, uh, most people, probably 80 to 90 percent, can tolerate the drug just fine. A few people will have vivid dreams at night, a runny nose, or muscle Cramps, and those are all directly related to uh, what the drug does in the body, which is increasing acetylcholine. And then the last side effect that's really less than one in a thousand, but can be important, is it can slow down the heart rate uh, a bit. And so uh, we, we ask people to watch out for feeling faint and things like that in addition to the other side effects. One of the experiences that I've had as a physician, and it really was kind of like uh, like the story uh, Awakening, uh, is working with patients who have memory problems and dementia and looking at uh, the polypharmacy that they're on. They're on a bunch of medications, you know, blood pressure medications, psychiatric medications, etc., uh, urinary tract medications. And uh, through a process of careful de-prescribing, you know, we doctors, uh, you know, we like to shove a prescription at patients, but sometimes it's harder to de-prescribe, determine, you know, which medications are really not essential. Uh, I've managed to improve the memories and really allow some patients to wake up and uh, optimize. What, what are some of the uh, uh, medications that can impair memory? Yeah, absolutely. I, I will tell you, I frequently say that in, in my clinic that I probably do more good for people taking them off of medications that are harmful than putting them on uh, any particular uh, medications. And it's one of the things that I am very proud of in our book that uh, in step three, ask about medications, we have a whole chapter on medicines that are harmful and the publisher 
Oxford University Press actually let me keep in the names of all these medications, <laughs> you know, that are... They were concerned about liability, <laughs> perhaps. Well, yeah, but, but they, they let me, they let me keep, uh, keep them in. Mm-hmm. And so basically, uh, the classes of medicines that can interfere with thinking and memory, as, as I know you have seen, uh, include most of the sleeping medications, except for melatonin. Uh, cold and flu medications, those over-the-counter ones, a lot of the older allergy uh, medications like uh, diphenhydramine, which is Benadryl, a lot of anxiety uh, uh, medications that are out there like the benzodiazepines, narcotic pain medications, muscle relax, and not all, but many of the incontinence medications, as you were saying. So a lot of medicines in those classes cause memory loss. Right, and there's a comprehensive list in the book, uh, Six Steps to Managing Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia. And, uh, you know, if you pick a, a copy and, you know, you take your relative to the doctor, you know, you can actually uh, help the doctor discern whether possible that some medications are not absolutely essential, and we should do a trial of uh, uh, removal of those medications. That could make a difference. Um, Absolutely, and I I just want to emphasize what you said, which is do this by going to your doctor and talking about it with them. Don't stop the medicines by yourself. Mm -hmm. There can be terrible side effects if you stop some of these medications, cold turkey, you should be done under the guidance of a, a professional. And apropos of that, you know, there are self-tests online, the MOCA test, and that kind of gained prominence uh, recently when they were accusing uh, President Trump of being demented. And uh, then he said, I'll take that MOCA test any day of the week. And, you know, it kind of thrust that into the public eye, that there is a test available. Uh, you can even take an online version of it. Is it a good idea to do it on yourself if you're concerned about memory loss, or should it be administered by a professional? Well, uh, I think that uh, it's always good to start with your doctor, but if your doctor's not available or the doctor isn't equipped to give you that type of test, and you can find it uh, or a similar test online. I, I think that would be uh, that would be just fine. I think the important thing is if you're concerned about your memory to work and get it uh, checked out. Don't don't be afraid of finding out uh, the answer. I think uh, I, I can honestly say that you know most of the time, most people out there who are concerned about their memory, it ends up being fine. But uh, at the same time, if there is something wrong with your memory, uh, today there's a lot of ways we can help it. And some of it might just be getting you off of medications that can impair your memory. So don't be afraid. Get your memory checked out so people can help. Indeed. Uh, when it comes to uh, memory supplements, supplements abound. And, you know, one that's particularly ubiquitous uh, and you know, I've always wondered what uh, neuroscientists uh, think of this, whether it's really plausible. It's one of the best-selling supplements, Prevagen. You reference it in the book. It's uh, some sort of jellyfish extract that uh, contains aquaforin, which supposedly helps the brain. What's your take on that? Yeah, so there really is no evidence that I have seen 
that that medication uh, provides any benefit to uh, one's memory. And I will say that uh, several organizations, including uh, uh, the, uh, the state of New York and the Federal Trade Commission, have filed suit against Prevagen for false advertising. Mm-hmm. So I'm not the only one out there who thinks that their advertising claims uh, don't live up to uh, to their expectations. Uh, although I do think they changed it, so their their main advertising claim now is it's the number one uh, <laughs> you know best selling memory supplement. Which you can say that, true, yeah. But that doesn't necessarily mean it works, right? Yeah, uh, you know, you can say that Mars bars are the number one selling um, uh, candy uh, without making any health claims. Okay. Right, exactly. That, that doesn't mean Mars bars taste good or anything like that, right? right. It, it just means they sell a lot. Exactly. Uh, so uh, what about uh, brain games? Because, uh, you know, entire uh, apps have been built on the premise that if you simply do these brain games, uh, that you can enhance your memory, uh, speed up your reaction time, uh, and so on. And, you know, it's quite controversial. Yeah, it's, a, it's actually a really exciting uh, area. And for a, a brand new book that I'm writing with a, a co-author that's ah. going to be in 2023, I just reviewed all the latest literature on this. And Great. Uh, Looking forward to that. We'll get- yeah. And so people are getting the, the, the brain game industry is making progress at being able to have games that hopefully will be able to translate into better function in daily life. But today, I hate to say that if you spend a lot of time doing brain games, you get better yeah. at brain games. Right. Know? That, that, that's that's what happens. It it, it today it, it simply doesn't translate into overall day to day memory function. But you know, if you are having trouble, let's say, learning someone's name when you meet them at a cocktail party, and you have a brain game, and that game is designed to help you learn someone's name when you're meeting them for the first time, well that game will help you in that task. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that um, when we do these sort of uh, practice sessions, it will help us with what we practice, and the closer the games are to real life, the more they can be applicable. But in general, when these things have been studied, uh, they haven't shown very much, if any, translation to real life. But like I said, I do think the makers of these games are getting better, and I'm very hopeful that um, we will be there soon with games that really make a, uh, a difference. Well, that's I, exciting. I, I, I'm, I'm yeah. going to book you ahead of time for that uh, for the release of that okay. book. We'll yeah. talk in a couple of years when it comes out. So exercise is one of the verities when it comes to brain preservation. And I have to tell you that uh, I'm an inveterate exerciser. And one of the prime motivations for me to exercise a lot is, yeah, you know, I like to wear skinny jeans, fine. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I really think that it may be one of the keys to uh, uh, extending one's uh, mental productivity uh, because of the salutary effects on brain. 
A absolutely. There is a lot of uh, very strong evidence that has been replicated hundreds of times now in people as well as animals that aerobic exercise releases growth factors in the brain that uh, help to both uh, keep the brain cells we have functioning well and even grow new brain cells, uh, uh, particularly in the hippocampus, which as you know is the part of the brain where we uh, initially form and then store uh, new memories. So exercise really is key. It's, you're speaking of the hippocampus. Is it true that chronic stress shrinks the hippocampus and thus impairs memory? Yeah, you know, I, I the answer is yes, but I do want to just uh, expand on that a, a little bit so that I don't so that your your listeners aren't frightened. Right, so, because then they're saying, "Oh my goodness, I'm stressed." You know, then now I've got something else to stress about. I'm stressed about exactly. being stressed. Right, right. So the, the stress that has definitively shown shrinkage of the hippocampus, I would put in the category of really horrific stress. So uh, talking about soldiers who have been involved in military conflicts and have experienced horrific things happen to themselves or those around them, uh, uh, prisoners of war, uh, people who have uh, undergone uh, childhood abuse or domestic violence, mm -hmm. Really horrific stress. I'm not so. I, I just want to make sure people who are listening don't worry that if they have a stressful day at work, or, right. you know, they're, they're going to lose brain cells. Yeah, oh, exactly. It's not like that. Uh, so, so stress can shrink the hippocampus, but it, it it really has been well studied under these horrific circumstances and day to day stress that we all experience. People shouldn't worry about that. In, uh, in in working with uh, patients with dementia and you know having some family members who suffer from dementia, it's interesting to me that we can have a conversation and they ask me, you know, what are you going to do this afternoon? And I tell them and then they you know circle back a few minutes later and say, what are you going to do this afternoon? And then a few minutes later, it's what are you going to do this afternoon? Uh, but when I start to ask them about, yeah, do you remember uh, what was it like on D-Day? They, they can actually vividly recall what it was like or uh, what was it like when the Empire State Building uh, was first built? <laughs> and they'll go into a long recitation of how excited they were. Uh, they can recall details from World War II, but they can't remember what they had for breakfast. Right, right. And so uh, this is mainly due to the fact that the hippocampus is in charge of those new memories and then the older memories are really distributed throughout the cortex which is the the outer surface uh, of the brain and so the older memories are still there and they can often be recalled with uh, very vivid uh, details but yet there is uh, the term we usually use is rapid forgetting of things like the answer to a question that they just learned, like what you were going to be doing uh, this afternoon. So we actually understand this uh, discrepancy between uh, sort of immediate and recent memories that are rapidly forgotten and the long-term memories that are retained. This all makes sense in terms of our current understanding of uh, Alzheimer's 
even though it can be very uh, surprising to families, but it is understood in terms of the science of it. And there's another anomaly that occurs in uh, dementia and Alzheimer's disease, which is uh, impulsiveness, aggressiveness, uh, sometimes uh, increased sexuality. Uh, it's like impulse control is reduced. Yeah. And that's, this is generally due to frontal lobe uh, function deteriorating. The, the frontal lobes are the part of your brain that when you feel an impulse, it allows you to consider whether to act on that uh, impulse, you know, right then and there. You know, one may uh, come across a person uh, eating a delicious apple and you may be hungry and you may feel an urge for a split second to grab that apple and eat it yourself. But uh, because we have frontal lobes, that helps us pause and say, well, it wouldn't really be appropriate to do that. The other person might be angry. I can just stop at the grocery store and get myself an apple. But if our frontal lobes are not working, yeah. uh, we don't have uh, that restraint on these impulses and urges. And uh, so a person with dementia, when it affects that part of the brain, uh, they will have those types of difficulties. And that happens uh, sort of in the middle or later stage of Alzheimer's, but it actually is the first thing that happens with another type of uh, dementia called frontotemporal dementia. Mm -hmm. Which, which can be clinically distinguished. Uh, neurologists uh, of your ilk are pretty good at slicing and dicing diseases. Not so good, unfortunately, at the present time in terms of treating, but you can kind of do a taxonomy of the uh, brain problems by looking at behaviors and asking certain questions and doing certain scans. Yes, that's absolutely right. And, you, you know, the one thing I would emphasize is, though, although we don't have medicines to uh, help, uh, for example, patients with frontotemporal dementia very much, uh, we do have a lot of non-pharmacological advice that we can offer to individuals and their families. And that's, of course, one of the reasons that we wrote the book is there really are a lot of things that we can do even without medicines. You know, in, re in reading your book, I, I recognize that uh, there really is a potential for elder abuse because, frankly, the behaviors uh, are sometimes so outrageous, so aggravating, uh, so uh, anger-invoking uh, that sometimes uh, people lose control and, you know, they you know are trying to uh, address some of the uh, acting out of patients with uh, dementia and uh, that may result in abusive behavior. But with some of the clues and some of the understanding that your book imparts, uh, I think that uh, it will help people develop a better uh, and more objective platform, more compassionate platform to address these, these behavioral outbursts. Yeah, Th thank you. That certainly is our goal. Indeed. Uh, there, there's a phenomenon of um, sundowning. Can you explain what that's about? Yeah, I can certainly uh, explain the phenomenon. Explaining the cause is a little trickier, but the phenomenon is uh, uh, well observed that most patients with Alzheimer's and really any type of dementia, they tend to get a little bit more confused, a little bit more 
agitated, perhaps more angry, more belligerent uh, in the late afternoon and early evenings. And it's called sundowning because it happens around that time. Uh, initially, most people thought it actually had to do with the availability of light. But my own opinion is it has to do more with the circadian rhythm mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, that we all have uh, built in. And, you know, most of us would like to have a nap in the, uh, in the late afternoon. And I do think that part of the brain is sort of shutting down yeah. and, you know, taking a siesta, right. even if people are still awake. And this can include the parts of the brain that are involved with that, those frontal lobes and uh, sort of regulating impulses. And, and, and they have less cognitive reserve. I mean, a, a you know, person's our age will say, oh, okay, you know, let me just, uh, you know, rest or, you know, maybe I'll check my email or, you know, I'll listen to some music. But, you know, someone who has less cognitive reserve may be propelled into a decompensation. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, uh, so what about the appetite changes that occur with us? Because, it, you know, we, we want to feed people a great diet. We want sometimes to put people on a ketogenic diet, very low carb to generate ketones in their brains. But there's this tremendous gravitation towards uh, sweets and highly palatable foods. What's up with yeah. that? Yeah. So there's a couple things that's up with that. So one thing is that um, uh, I do think that for most human beings, not all, but most of us, if we could eat whatever we wanted and there would be no health consequences whatsoever, not even an upset stomach, we probably would eat a lot of sweets, right? <laughs> right. You can ask any five-year-old. They'll, they'll tell you that's what they would prefer. Right. Um, Along with a couple of packs of cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> and, and they... Uh, but the so partly it's the fact that sweets are are built in and we're losing our impulse control. But the other piece that's very important and important for families to understand is that uh, most individuals with Alzheimer's and other dementias lose their sense of smell. Hmm. And smell, uh, of course, as you know, is not only important for smelling things like flowers, but smell actually constitutes the majority of, of our taste. So although the tongue can do sugar and sour and salty and uh, bitter and spicy and MSG, uh, our smell does all the other tastes that we experience. And so one reason that individuals with dementia may alter their diets and may want more sweet things is that they can't really smell things, so they can only enjoy the things with, that they can taste on their tongues. Right. And also one's uh, opportunities for gratification kind of narrow when one is uh, debilitated yeah. and, uh, you know, confined. And so maybe that's, that's the avenue through which uh, they obtain their, their stimulation. It's less likely yeah. that they're going to, uh, you know, read a great book or, uh, uh, you know, do some of the things that, you know, get our get ourselves distracted from the the incessant uh, hunger for food. Well, this is great stuff, uh, and a lot more insights uh, in the book: uh, Six Steps to Managing Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia. 
And uh, I'm looking very much forward to your discussion of uh, brain games because uh, I remember interviewing you uh, 2017. Uh, you were a skeptic. Uh, so this evinces a certain degree of brain plasticity on your part. <laughs> that, well, that you're now you. beginning to uh, embrace yeah. the potential yeah. of, of certain well-researched, validated uh, brain games to enhance memory. So that yeah, and I think in particular, I think the field itself has moved forward. The brain games have improved as well. Okay, good stuff. All right, the book Six Steps to Managing Alzheimer's Disease and Dementia: a Guide for Families. Our guest, Dr. Andrew Budson. Dr. Budson. Uh, congratulations, and thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Dr. Hoffman. I'm Dr. Ronald Hoffman, and this is the Intelligent Medicine Podcast. You know how important it is to ensure that your supplements are genuine, safe, and effective. That's why I partnered with Fullscript, an online dispensing platform that only offers curated professional-grade brands that I know and trust, the very same supplements that I prescribe to my patients and take myself. Never counterfeit or expired, always stored and shipped correctly. Just go to DearHoffmanStore.com to start your free Fullscript account. Buying through Fullscript offers fast shipping, optional refill reminders, a mobile-friendly site. It's safe, secure, and HIPAA compliant and offers world-class support. Fullscript also gives you access to my custom targeted supplement protocols that combine the products that I recommend to address specific needs, heart health, immune support, and much more. Just go to DearHoppinStore.com to sign up for your free Fullscript account. You'll get access to the supplements and features you need to help you achieve your wellness goals. That's DearHoppinStore.com. DearHoppinStore.com.